Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your Holy Word. We thank You for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that as You have given me the privilege and responsibility of opening Your Word, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. O God, as we look to our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask in His name, Amen. Alright, I have a question to put before us this morning as we begin the sermon. Uh, Don't answer vocally, but form an answer privately uh, in your heart to this question. The statement, love God and do what you want to. Is this a theologically wise statement or a theologically damaging or heretical statement? Now, those who are inclined to see this as a theologically wise statement would likely emphasize the freedom that we have in Christ. Christians are not intended to live our lives according to a list of commands, they might answer. Those who are inclined to see this as a theologically damaging or heretical statement would likely emphasize our calling to live out the Ten Commandments. Christians are not intended to live without considering the commands of Scripture. Where do I fall on this statement? I believe this statement is full of theological wisdom. It's actually a statement that is paraphrased from Augustine. And the longer, more exact quote is, "...love God and do whatever you please." For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The statement reflects uh, Scripture passages such as these. Um, Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.14 The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10 Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of law. Loving God, by definition, means that we will be eager to obey and follow God's Word. Because we trust Him, we know that He wants what is best for us. If you care not whether uh, you are obeying Him, it means that you don't trust Him. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. We don't earn... I'm sorry, we don't obey God to earn His blessing or His salvation. Obedience is a byproduct of our salvation. Our obedience is an expression 
of our love and our faith in Jesus Christ. Because we are a new creation in Christ, our desire will be to love God more than anything or anyone else. Some who struggle to see this statement as theological wisdom might look uh, at obedience as a ring or a circle of assurance. Although they know that salvation is a free gift of God's grace, they might think that as Christians, they have to show God that they do love Him by obeying His commandments. And so if they have the circle of God's commandments and they step too far outside of that circle or step too far outside that circle for too long, it means that they don't love God. And so, if they don't love God, then they lose the assurance of their salvation. Therefore, they live very cautious and meticulous lives. That was me when I first became a Christian. Uh, I thought, okay, well, Jesus saved me. Now, I've got to show Him just how much I love Him. I've got to show Him how sincere I am. But I would always mess up. I would always step outside, it seemed, that circle of obedience. And I had very little assurance of salvation. Of course, I believe that God expects us to live lives that reflect His holiness. Uh, reflect His holiness in our actions, in our uh, our words, in our thoughts, and even in our desires. First Peter says, "As He who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct." But that holiness should not be born out of a meticulous fear of losing your salvation. Our holiness should be born out of our hearts that are set aflame in love for the One who loves us so much that He gave His own beloved Son to the cross in our place. In other words, the love that should motivate our obedience, that should motivate our holiness, is a love that sets us free to cast caution to the wind because we are chasing after our God. And so the phrase, love God and do what you want to or do whatever you please is conditioned on the loving God. And it emphasizes the freedom that we have in Christ to pursue God with all our hearts Our consideration of this phrase, love God and do what you want to, sets us up nicely for our consideration of the sermon uh, this morning. Being set free to love God and chase after Him means so much more than reading your Bible or praying consistently or going to church. It also means loving and enjoying God and His creation. Loving and enjoying God and His blessings. Loving God and enjoying every good thing that He has given to us. In other words, enjoying life's pleasures is an important part of our holiness and our obedience to God. 
to listen to verses 7 through 9. I'm going to leave out verse 10 uh, for the moment. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get to verse 10 this morning. Listen to verses 7 through 9. Go and eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy wife. I'm sorry, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. As I read these verses, understand that Solomon is not giving us suggestions. Rather, he is commanding us to live our life with joy. He speaks of eating and drinking, of wearing nice clothes, of smelling good, and of loving your spouse. The white clothes here, um, back in the ancient Near East, um, white clothes were the equivalent of a black tuxedo or an evening gown. You know, in such a dusty uh, environment without washing machines, wearing white clothes pointed to a special occasion. Or putting oil in your hair was not for a hairstyle, but rather to make you smell better before the days of deodorant and antiperspirant. Uh, these things are these these are not the only things that we are to enjoy. These are just some examples. For instance, he could have said, enjoy your hobby or enjoy or cheer for your favorite sports team with gusto or any such thing like that. But he's saying that we are to enjoy our lives. The reason he speaks of eating and drinking, uh, drinking wine specifically, wearing nice clothes and smelling good, is because he is painting a picture of a person perpetually uh, going to a, a very nice dinner party. The food is rich, the wine is flowing, and you've gotten all spiffied up for a very enjoyable evening. Now on the face of it, this night on the town has very little to do with God. But Solomon would disagree. Enjoying your life, rejoicing in the blessings of life is a very important way that we glorify God. Nothing, uh, noting the commands in these verses, one commentator said that there is a moral urgency of pursuing enjoyment. Have you heard a sermon like this recently? <laughs> um, you know, Solomon, all the way through the, the book of Ecclesiastes, after he says, life is meaningless, vain, vain, vanity, vanity. He has these little, little uh, pauses. I think this is like the fifth time in his book, and I think there may be one more in chapter 11, where he talks about enjoying life enjoying the stuff that God has given you, enjoying the small things, enjoying the big things, enjoying the things that we might otherwise overlook. Enjoy the food you eat. Enjoy 
uh, the wine you drink. He says all this because we are called to rejoice as we live as children of God here in this world. Those people without God, life is vanity, meaningless. God is not pleased with any part of our life. But God is pleased with all of our life when we are in Christ. And so He tells us to enjoy all of it deeply. Life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures. Look at the second half of of verse 7. He says, For God has already approved what you do. See that? God has approved you wearing the nice clothes, the the white garments, uh, eating the the fine, rich food, um, stepping out to enjoy a, uh, a nice evening out, even drinking wine unto your merriment. The problem comes when we depend upon these for our pleasure and enjoyment. When we replace God with the things in this world and lean upon these things in the world for our satisfaction, that's where the problem comes. Some depend upon food for comfort. Some abuse alcohol to escape reality for a while. Some take drugs to enhance their experience of reality because the life that they have just doesn't bring enough satisfaction to them. Some dress up to go partying in their fancy clothes as the highest joy in all their life. All these things, when we replace God with these things, instead of enjoying these things, they become a hard taskmaster. They become a God that rules over us. Using these things to bring you joy will only end in vanity and unhappiness. These things will never satisfy you. Solomon is saying, enjoy your life as one approved by God and enjoy food, wine, and parties as a blessing from God. The wine issue is hanging in front of us. Uh, Should I sidestep it? No. So let me ask, can a Christian drink wine? Yes. Can a Christian enjoy wine? Yes. Can a Christian have more than one glass of wine at dinner? Yes. How much wine? Well, that depends on your size and whether you have an empty stomach before you start drinking that wine, you know, and other considerations. You could have um, a cocktail, two cocktails, depending on your size and your tolerance for alcohol. You can have as much wine as you like as long as you don't get drunk. I believe you can drink enough wine that it adds to your merriment without getting drunk. But that's what he's saying here in verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. It's tempting to draw our circle and put wine and alcohol outside that circle so that we won't be tempted to get drunk. 
The Bible says you can drink wine. You can have a cocktail. Don't get drunk. Don't use the alcohol as an escape. Don't use an alcohol, the alcohol as a way to sidestep God as your chief source of enjoyment and satisfaction. I want to move on to verse 9. I think verse 9 is very important. And so verse 9, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil which you toil under the sun. Solomon is encouraging us, in fact, commanding us to enjoy our wives. This is a very practical exhortation. Husbands, are you enjoying your wives? Are you setting aside time to do things that you both enjoy? Are you prizing your wife as God's gift to you? Now, some of you might be tempted to say, well, my wife's not always easy to enjoy. I imagine your wives might be able to say the same thing about you. Why is it, some, why is it sometimes so hard to enjoy your spouse? Well, nine times out of ten... It's not your spouse that has the issue. Most times it's the selfishness and self-centeredness of the spouse that is struggling to enjoy his wife or, or um, her husband. And that's the problem. The one selfishly wants the other to provide for his or her needs. And when the needs are not met, the, dad, the dissatisfaction grows. Husbands, Wise. Your calling is not to get this or that from your spouse. Your calling is to enjoy, love, and serve your spouse for his or her, for his or her good and for God's glory. Why does Solomon say that you are to enjoy and love your spouse all the days of your vain life? My wife sent me a text message with some kissy faces and hugs, a lot of hugs um, on the uh, the emojis and uh, this morning because um, I was already at the church and I copied and pasted uh, verse 9 here and sent it back to her. You know, and the first part's pretty nice. Enjoy your wife whom you love. And if I had to stop there, then it would have been aces for me. But I continued all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. What does He mean by saying this? Solomon is pointing to the fact that life is brief and death will one day end your marriage. If it's not clear in verse 9, if you look at verse 10, at the end of verse 10, he makes it explicit. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, which is the grave, to which you are going. So, Solomon is pointing to the fact that life is brief and death will end your marriage. The call to marital love is only a short-term calling. It is for this life only and not for eternity. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage is God's good gift for a husband and wife to serve God most effectively here in this world. A marriage provides mutual support to the husband and wife so that a family can grow healthy in the Lord. The family is the foundation for society. And so for a society to grow and thrive, it must have healthy families as the foundation. With the breakdown of the family, society suffers. With the breakdown of the family, God's dominion mandate is curtailed to that extent. God wants us to have healthy, godly families. I think it's in Genesis 17, just off the top of my head, where God says, uh, not 17, must be 18, where God says, I... I need to reveal my plans to Abraham because he's going to raise a godly generation after him. Now in heaven, that foundational function is no longer needed. My wife's going to quiz me all afternoon about the temporal nature of marriage. And it probably won't be enjoyable. So I'll have to remember... Enjoy my wife as we talk about these things. And she says, it seems strange that we won't be married for all eternity. Listen, I believe the joy of marriage will persist in heaven even if the marriage does not. The joy of being married to Mandy will be one of the, the treasures that I will carry with me for all eternity. For those of you who might be struggling in your marriage, let me be honest with you. Mandy's not always a bowl of cherries. <laughs> and goodness knows, I'm not a box of chocolates. But we work at enjoying and loving each other. And we look to God for help. Every married couple that has a happy and successful, strong marriage in the Lord can testify to the same thing. With God and your work, your marriage can be heaven on earth. I can testify. Why does Solomon tell us to rejoice in the things we have here on earth when he says ad nauseum that life here on earth is vanity? Well, nothing is vanity when it's done for the Lord eating a good meal, having a few glasses of wine, going out on the town, enjoying and loving your spouse, or going to work each day, verse 10, is good and should be done with joy because you are God's child. The struggle to rejoice, however, comes from the fact that we are sinners. The very good things that we desire to do because we're sinners, oftentimes we don't do. And the very evil things that we hate, those are sometimes the very things we end up doing. 
The ongoing presence of sin causes us to struggle with guilt, with discontent, with dissatisfaction, with anger and anxiety and arrogance and criticism and all a whole host of other things. Our joy is overcome by our struggles. And so it's important that Solomon tells us, enjoy your life because you belong to God. Look at that last part of verse 7. It says, God has already approved what you do. God's approval is the foundation for your joy. God sees your union with Christ. Or rather, God sees you in union with Christ. His sacrificial death and resurrection is your justification, is your forgiveness. His righteousness is your righteousness. His sonship is your adoption into God's family. His obedience is your goodness. Everything, everything is found in Jesus Christ. What God has done by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection is He has placed us into Christ. We are united with Christ. His righteousness is our righteousness. His goodness is our goodness. And so, the Scripture says in verse 7, God has already approved of what you do only because of Jesus Christ. It would be impossible for Him to approve of your, your uh, actions outside of Christ. And so, in conclusion this morning, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, you will be free to rejoice in your enjoyment of life, of your life, as God's gift to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to enjoy the simple things of life, eating and drinking. We get to enjoy our wives, Lord, we get to enjoy even our work because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our life is truly Your gift to us. But it's only in Jesus Christ because it's only in Him that we are approved. It's only in Him that we are righteous. It's only in Him that we are Your dearly loved children. Father, as we prepare now to... Uh, take the Lord's Supper. Help us to rejoice in our eating and our drinking as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. We pray in His name. Amen.